We come to this time of year and oftentimes we talk about Christmas and what's wrong with Christmas and why Christmas is to this or to that. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that that Christmas is a very real thing. But the way we do it isn't. You know, basically... Christmas started at a time in, when Christianity was popular. You know, maybe you can't think back, how long ago must that have been when Christianity was popular? But there was a time. It was popular. And it goes way back. And the church was looking around and they said, you know, they got all these great holidays and, and fun things that are happening. I think we should Christianize them. So they did. Look, we took Christmas from the pagans. It was... Uh, all the same things, presents, tree, lights, all that stuff. But but we took it and, and Christianized it. And I think it's funny now, you know, I don't know how many years it's been. Long time. More than a thousand years probably. We are shocked that the pagans want it back. <laughs> they want to call it something else. and They want to make it about something else. Sometimes I think it's important for us to just kind of pause and really think about what Christmas is because we start to forget, you know, we start to, to mix all the stuff together and we, we come up with, I don't know, wild ideas. And, but we come to this time of season and usually we're filled with a lot of hope for some reason. And then sometimes at the end of the season we, we get a little depressed because all that hope we were hoping for just didn't measure up to what it was. So when we look and we 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 look on the page of scripture for for Christmas, I want to remind you where it comes from. Date is unimportant. The purpose that is important. There was a prophet. His name was. Malachi. Some people call him Malachi. They say he was Italian, the last Italian prophet. I don't know. Bad joke. That's why I never tell it. <clears throat> Malachi finishes his book, the last book in the Bible, with a curse. And after Malachi spoke, God was silent. For 400 years. A lot of silence. Maybe some of you have experienced a silent treatment, and maybe you, maybe some of you would like to have a little more of the silent treatment in your life. I don't know. Four hundred years of silence is a long time. The last promise Malachi gave. He uh, he talks about in chapter four, verse two. Let me share it with you. It says, "But for you who fear my name." The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. And you will go out leaping like calves from the stall. The picture that Malachi paints is that we are in darkness. And one day the light would dawn. When we talk about Christmas, we... We sometimes forget the backstory, you know. It's like, well, there's, here's the Christmas story, and 
and we forget what's really going on. I mean, the Word of God is God's story of His redemption of man, His deliverance. Have you ever thought about this? Every single nation under the sun, on the face of the earth, has mythology of heroes come to save. Come to deliver the people from oppression. Maybe it's political oppression. Maybe it's religious oppression. Maybe it's economic oppression. But they all have stories of a, of a hero that comes to save them. That sacrifices himself and one way or another he, he's able to deliver the people to a better age. Where did that story all come from? Some people want you to believe it's just man's need to have something bigger than himself. So he created it. I just have a hard time believing man's that good. And we have the Word of God telling us the same story. Funny. Whenever you think about counterfeiting something, what do you counterfeit? Truth or the lie? I mean, let's face it, if I walk up to you with a $3 bill and say, hey, give me some change, what are you going to tell me? You're going to say, what's that? In fact, if I give you a $2 bill, you might ask me the same thing, huh? People don't counterfeit stuff that isn't real. What do they counterfeit? True. I'm not going to counterfeit a $25 bill. Hey, got a $25 bill. Hook me up, brother. Give me some change. No. You are the dumbest counterfeiter on the face of the earth. You counterfeited something that doesn't exist. No, what do we counterfeit? True. So wouldn't you expect if there was a true story of a deliverer that there would be a lot of counterfeit stories about other deliverers? Wouldn't that kind of fit logically? I don't know. God's people wanted a deliverer. They were in Egypt. God sent a deliverer. He delivered them. It was tangible. They saw their deliverance. Right? I mean, it was hard for them to be at the, at the Red Sea when the Red Sea parted and say, you know, I have a feeling that the Red Sea is parted. And they didn't have a feeling. They saw. Right? Tangible. Tangible deliverance. Yeah, the Christmas story comes in a time of 400 years of darkness. Isaiah puts it like this. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You know, for 400 years, people were looking for a deliverer. Some wanted him delivered for selfish gain, throw off the yoke of oppression, make some money. Maybe they desired to be on the throne and make their own decisions. Do you ever wonder how many times a deliverer came to deliver a country only to become a tyrant a few years later? Because not the real deliverer. History is full of men promising deliverance and unable to deliver. The problem is man doesn't need deliverance from political oppression or from economic Oppression or from anything other than sin. Man needs deliverance from sin. You look at the world and the problem that the world is in is not because of 
anybody, if we want to blame all our problems on somebody, look, you know, all the people in power today did not make the problems we're in today. The problems we're in today started a long time ago. And everybody's been shifting the blame down the line to somebody else. The problem is sin. The problem with school shootings is not guns or who has guns or what you're doing with your guns. The problem is sin. And the heart of man. And he needs deliverance. I believe our deliverer is coming. I believe our deliverer has come. And I believe that's what Christmas is all about. Forget everything else. That's all fun stuff and it's okay. But that's not the story. In Luke chapter 1, if you join with me, just share some of the backstory before we get where we're going to park. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, a king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah. So the division of Abijah, his wife was a daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, but they had no children. And children was viewed in that day as a blessing from God. If you didn't have kids, you were cursed. Something was wrong. Something was wrong with what you were doing. The Bible's very careful to tell us that Zacharias and Elizabeth, it wasn't sin in their life. It was God's plan. We sometimes get too quick to judge sin in somebody's life instead of considering what's God's plan. Maybe this is God's purpose for someone, but they're childless. They're childless. What do you think their prayers were like? If you are part of or know a couple who is childless, you know what their prayers are. Right? God, give us a child. But they prayed. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. and They were both well advanced in years. They're getting older. So it was that while he was serving as priest... Before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. So when he went into the temple of the Lord, the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zacharias gets a chance to go burn incense. Now, Zacharias, he's, uh, he's pretty excited about this opportunity. You know, the priests used to get stoked about going into the, to the temple because they saw God there. Did you know that? You see, we think this idea that God's intangible and He can't be known and He can't be felt and He couldn't be seen. Well, certainly the Scripture tells us that no man has seen God at any time, but there are things that God reveals. For example, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, there were two things that the Bible describes as the presence of God. One is His kabod, the weight. The weight of God. In fact, the Bible tells us the weight of God came so thick into the temple that it drove everybody out. They couldn't even be in there. They didn't necessarily see something. They felt something real. 
The Bible also tells us of another a way that God revealed Himself in the temple. It was called the Shekinah. The Shekinah is the glory of God. The glory, the light. Do you know in the Holy of Holies there was no candle? Nothing was lit in there. How did the priest see? God's glory filled the temple. He said, I'll meet you between the cherubim. On the Ark of the Covenant. What was on the Ark of the Covenant? Two cherubim. Right between that, the mercy seat, the place where the blood would be put. God said, I'll meet you there. I think every high priest who ever went into the Holy of Holies saw the glory of God and felt the kabod. But the day came when the prophet would say, hang a sign outside the temple. Ichabod. They named a, a child Ichabod. Why did they name him Ichabod? Because they hated him? No. Ichabod means the glory has departed. The time came, the glory of God was no longer found there in the temple. And I think the priests just got used to the fact that God wasn't there no more. You remember when Jesus first came to the temple? I love the story. He comes and he, and he overturns the tables and he says, My Father's house shall be a house of prayer. My Father's house. Do you know the last time he leaves the temple what he says? It's your house. And it's left to you desolate. Empty. The glory came, but you didn't want that. You wanted the thing you had instead. Well, Zacharias is in there and I think he's excited. He comes to the golden altar to pray. What prayer did he pray? Same one he'd been praying for years. Father, give me a child. What about the people outside? It says all the people were gathered and praying. What were they praying? Don't you think that in this time of darkness when the world was upside down and sideways, they're under the oppression of Rome, they can't do anything, can't be anything. In fact, they're just about ready to get word of a decree that requires them all to go back to the city of their birth, right? Don't you think during that time that they're looking at the promises that God used to say, for example, in Isaiah when He said, For unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given. There's a deliverer that's going to be born one day. What if all the people outside were praying that? They were praying for a child. Zacharias is inside praying for a child. What's the word say happen? The Bible tells us that An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias saw him and was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said, wait, wait, wait. Look at it. First word God would speak to his people in 400 years. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Listen, listen. Your prayer is heard. Your wife will bear you a son and you will call his name John. 
And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from His mother's womb. Kind of deals with the problem of when life begins, don't it? You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're a thing. You can only be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're a person. He will be filled from His mother's womb and He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord God. He will also go before Him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias knew exactly what he was talking about. Remember I told you about that last prophet and the last thing he had said? Well, turn to the left in your Bible. You'll find him. You go left past um, Mark and Matthew and you'll come to Malachi. (laughs) I just can't let it go. Malachi 4, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, and who, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that which leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like a stall-fed calf. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. So remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. For behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Man, Zacharias is in there praying for a son. Not only does God answer his prayer, but he tells him, Your son is part of the answer to Malachi. I'm going to send him in the power of Elijah the prophet to prepare the way for the Mashiach Nagid, the deliverer. The one everybody writes about and talks about and kind of messes with the story of. But the reality, the true, not the counterfeit. Our deliverer is coming. Man, that's what, that's what he's declaring. That's what God is laying out. The deliverer, the promised hope of Israel. And Zechariah says, how can this be? I'm too old, my wife's too old, I'm not sure this can happen. And the angel said, my name is Gabriel. So you will not speak. And if you do careful reading, you will see also that he will not hear. You will be a mute, deaf and dumb until the things I said to you will take place. They're in a dark place. 
Zacharias was struggling with the ability to believe and he wanted a sign. I don't think he wanted the sign that the angel gave him. I think he was hoping for something else, but he got the point. Start to see a little light in the horizon. Do you know that your eyes are able to see a candle ten miles away? If nothing's in the way? The light from a candle ten miles away? A little light in the darkness. What does the Scripture say? There's light coming. Well, not Gabriel wasn't just satisfied with talking to Zacharias. Later on, he appeared to a teenage girl, right? Doesn't the Bible tell us? Probably somewhere between the ages of 15 and 16, she was betrothed to a husband, but not yet married. The angel appeared to her and said, Oh, greatly favored one! In fact, the Bible says she was a little worried about the greeting. What kind of greeting is this? And then the angel said that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that she would give birth to a child who would be the Savior of the world. Mary said, May it be unto me as you have said, Behold, the servant of my Lord. You think she really knew what that meant? Ah, it's 2014. We've come a long way since then, right? I mean, nobody in the Middle East would stone a woman who got pregnant out of wedlock, would they, today? Oh, yeah, they would. Still. Funny. You think she thought about that? You think she she thought about what it was going to cost? I don't know. We'll save Mary for Tuesday. We'll talk a little bit more about her. But we know that her husband, Joseph, he, he got the idea, well, <laughs> Mary's pregnant and we're supposed to get married. And look, I don't want to stone her, so I'm just going to divorce her quietly. So Gabriel appeared to him. So don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Wow. Man. The light's coming. When I was a kid, I used to wonder about the star. I don't wonder about the star no more. The star was announcing that the light had come. The light was there. And that star, it shone day or night, announcing the birth of the light of the world. Pretty amazing stuff. That's, that's Christmas, but a lot of that's for Tuesday. I won't get too into that. I want to get back to Elizabeth. Look in verse 57. It tells us that now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now it was on the eighth day and they had come to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. But his mother said, no, you're going to call him Jar. But they said to her, 
Well, no one among your relatives is called by this name. So they made signs to the father. Whoa. Remember I told you he was deaf? Yeah, they would have just said to the father if he could hear. Wouldn't they? They made signs to the father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote saying, His name shall be John. And they all marveled, by the way, how'd he tell Elizabeth? I don't know. Could have wrote it. I'm sure he had a lot to say to her, but there was this problem. He couldn't speak. And I'm sure she had a lot to ask him, but there was this problem he couldn't hear. God appeared to Zacharias, shook up the bottle and put a cork on it. He said, you hold on to that for nine months. The cork's about to come off. Look what happens. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke praising God and fear came on all who dwelt among them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts and said, What kind of a child will this be? What did he say? I believe he said what you will read in verses 68 through 79. When the court came off, He praised God. The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. In these few verses, there are 33 allusions to the Old Testament. To the promises of God. To announce what Christmas really is all about. To announce what was happening. What happened to the people? They heard it and it said great fear came upon them. And they began to wonder among themselves, what kind of a child will this be? We all wonder that when we have our children, don't we? But this is everybody in the mountains of Judea. They all talked about it. Something special had happened. And so in this song, I think... We have what Christmas is really. And it's all about hope. It's all about hope. What's the hope for? Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Number one, the hope of redemption. A Redeemer. The word redemption is a legal term. It means to buy something or pay something that someone else can't. You have a debt you owe God. The soul that sins shall die. Everyone's going to pay. The problem is, God wants a relationship with you. It's hard to have one of those with a dead person. So he sent his son to pay your debt. How do we know Jesus paid that debt? The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. What did Jesus do? He died. What else? He rose again. Oh, there's a little problem there, isn't there? Oh, he came back. Why? 
Because only the soul that sins shall die. Not the soul that doesn't. The soul that has no sin, however, can pay a debt for someone else that they can pay. It's called redemption. Redemption. Man, look what the Word of God says. Job, in Job 19, verse 25, said, For I know my Redeemer lives. I really like you to pay careful attention to the Bible. So many times we read things so fast that we're not paying attention. Job said he lives now. Not he will live. I know my Redeemer lives. He's alive. Now. At the time of Job. And he shall stand at last on the earth. He will come. And after my skin is destroyed. Well, that's a technical term in the Hebrew for after I rot in the grave. After my skin is destroyed, this I know in my flesh, I will see God. Wait, wait, wait. He was just talking about his Redeemer. Now he's talking about God. Yeah, you're starting to see. I will see him for myself and my eyes will behold him and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Oh, I can't wait to see my deliverer. Job was talking about God as the Redeemer. Well, that's not a... Uncommon in Scripture, Isaiah 44, 6, among others, says, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Don't miss that. Listen carefully. Thus says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the name of God, the King of Israel, and... His Redeemer. Oh, that's a a second being. That's a second person. And His Redeemer, who is called the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. The proper name of God. I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no God. You're going to have a problem with that verse because God is speaking to Himself of a second person. The Son. The Redeemer. Or maybe you just remember what it is that the Scripture tells in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and will bear a son and they will call His name Emmanuel, which is God with us. The Redeemer. The Yahweh. The Messiah. The Deliverer. The hope of a Redeemer. That's the first thing he begins with. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For He, the Lord God of Israel, has visited and redeemed. He's the Redeemer. In verse 69 he says, And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The second hope for Christmas. Not just the hope of redemption, but the hope of salvation. The 
power to save. A lot of people would like to save. They don't have the power to save. He begins with, he raised up a horn of salvation. A horn is an emblem of power. Spoken of throughout Scripture as such. An emblem of power. He will raise up one with the power to save. One who has the power of salvation. See, salvation is a supernatural power. It's not a legal term. It's a term that speaks of the transformation from death to life. You know anybody who can do that for you? Isaiah 49.6, listen to what Isaiah said. Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light unto the Gentiles, and you will be my salvation to the end of the earth. God the Father is having a conversation with His servant, my servant, all rabbinical teaching up to and beyond the time of Christ said that my servant is the Messiah. God is speaking to His Son. Isaiah 45, 21 says, Tell, bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together who have declared this from ancient times. Who has told you from this time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no other God beside me, a just God and Savior. There is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. God, the Savior, speaking to the Messiah. You're my Savior. Matthew 1.19, remember I told you about Joseph? And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and give birth, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Savior. 1 Timothy 1.1, listen to the introduction of Paul to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. The construction in the Greek demands that both God and Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ are the same. Oh, Second Peter 1, 1 Peter 1.1, listen to Peter's introduction. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You don't have to have any special Greek for that one. It says it in English. How about Ephesians 2? And you He made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit 
who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you once conducted yourself in the lusts of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He has raised us up together like Christ. He has raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast the hope of salvation. Second part of the prophecy with 33 allusions to the Old Testament. And part of Christmas, hope for redemption, hope for salvation. Third, hope for the power to live for God. To show the mercy promised to our fathers, verse 72, and to remember His holy covenant. The oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered by the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. To walk with Him like He would have us walk. The power to live the life God asks us to live. The promise He's alluding to is the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 22 16 through 18. It's given to him right after he offered up his son. God did something he didn't ever do again. He swore by himself. Or there was none greater. He only did that one time. Genesis 22, 16 through 18. He said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore. And your descendants will possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Promise that Messiah would come through Abraham and be born a Jew. This promise speaks of deliverance, but also the ability to serve without fear and to live a holy life. Jeremiah 31 talks about a new covenant in which the Lord will put His laws on our heart. Ezekiel 36 talks about the same thing. He says, I'll take your heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to be able to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. What's Ezekiel talking about? The Holy Spirit given to the life of every believer. The hope of the power to live a life for God. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Being assembled together, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father, which He said, You have heard. For John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not 
many days hence. For what purpose? Verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the end of the earth. The power to be what God has asked us to be. To put on a new man. To be more than we are. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, This I say, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, had given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt, according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The third hope was the hope of the power to live a life serving God and walking in holiness and righteousness as He requires. Zacharias proclaiming to me all these things that Christmas is the dawn of a new day where we are redeemed and saved and given the power to live the life God wants us to live. The fourth hope in verse 76 of Luke 1, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare His way to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of sins. Fourth hope is a hope of forgiveness. People looking for this all around the world want to be forgiven for the things that they carry around. You know the whole reason we have psychiatrists and psychologists much of the time is to help people deal with a little thing they got churning on the inside of them. It's called guilt. And they need to experience forgiveness. It's the hope of Christmas. That the light would dawn in the dark. The forgiveness of sins. God's Word declares in Isaiah 1.18, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God speaking of forgiveness. Isaiah 53, speaking of the work that the Messiah would accomplish, the Word says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By His knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for He will bear their iniquity. Remember the price we couldn't pay? He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Psalm 103 tells us that the Lord would remove our transgressions as far as The east is from the west. And in Acts 10, it says, To Him all the prophets witness that through His name, Jesus Christ, whoever believes in Him,
will receive the remission of sins. Forgiveness. It's the hope of Christmas. The forgiveness of sins. Last hope's coming up. Verse 78, it says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Remember how we started? We're in the darkness and we need a light. And our deliverer came on a Christmas night. His birth was announced by the angels filling the skies. The Bible describes it as thousands and thousands, ten thousands and ten thousands. That's a lot. What's it look like to see a million plus angels in the heavens singing? All clothed in light. Who'd they announce it to? Oh, all them fellas sitting in the city, right? Under the street lights. All those guys who were in their homes and had all their problems solved. No, where'd they announce it? Shepherds where? In the fields by night. It is dark out there. A light dawned. A star shone. The angels sang. Our deliverer has come. But here he sings of a sunrise yet future. To give a light to those who still sit in darkness. Malachi 4.2 told us the son of righteousness would arise with healing in his wings. He did. Isaiah 9.2 tells us the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. They did. 2 Peter 1.19 tells us this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed like a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Your heart ever been a dark place? Well, who's the morning star? Oh, wow, yeah, let's make it easy. Revelation 22 tells us, Revelation 22, verse 16, in case you're wondering who's speaking. I, Jesus, that settles it, right? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. Till the morning star dawns in your heart. John eight twelve, Jesus speaking to the crowd said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus' light will shine in any dark place. Needs to shine in every dark place. Matthew thirteen forty three says, Then the righteous will shine forth in the kingdom of their Father. In Revelation 21, 3, 
says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There will be no more pain for all the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes will inherit all things. I will be his God. He will be my son. So to the overcomer, he inherits all things. No tears, no sorrow, no dying. Who's the overcomer? 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God. Whatever is born again. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is He who overcomes the world but He who believes? Jesus is the Son of God. The last hope is that there will be a day. A day of days when the king will return. When every wrong that has ever happened will be made right. See, I make all things new. All things means all things. Everything redeemed. To who? To those who overcome. Who are the overcomers? Those who are born again. Those who are born of God. Those who believe Jesus is the Son of God. Christmas is full of hope. The hope of redemption. The hope of salvation. The hope of the power to live for God. The hope of the forgiveness of sin. And the hope that there will be a day. There will be. We're going to show you a quick video and then I'm going to pray and we'll cut loose. God has a plan and it's a good one. 